Welcome to The Digital Patient, where we discuss the latest advancements in digital patient engagement and share stories from the front lines. I'm your host, Alan Sardana, and with me as always is CMOSMD CEO, Dr. Joshua Liu. Today, we're joined by our very special guest, Ian Shaquille. Ian Shaquille is the founder, director, and chief strategy officer of Augmetics, where he previously served as chairman of the board and CEO during the 10 plus years the company has been active. In his current role, Mr. Shaquille oversees corporate strategy, corporate development, and business development. He's also responsible for partnerships and ambient automation platform conversions. Mr. Shaquille, Ian, welcome to the show. It's so good to be here. Josh, it's good to see you too, right out of the madness of health in Las Vegas. Yes, for those who don't know, like, uh, you and I were both at health a couple of days ago, and somehow we're still doing this. So thank you, Ian. And I'm <laughs> super tired. We've not hit our limit yet, talking about healthcare innovation. Yeah, we got one more podcast and then maybe we'll hit it at that point. But it is awesome having you on the show today, Ian. You know, your career has been absolutely fantastic to watch. You went from leading a high school robotics team all the way to founding, building, and scaling the now publicly traded NLP and generative AI health tech company, Augmetic. It's a huge journey with so many failures and successes and insights gained along the way. This conversation could go in a thousand different directions, but maybe to start, how did you first get into health? Yeah, I don't come from a family of physicians. I don't have some tearjerker medical personal story, but really my first job out of college was working at this company called Edwards Life Sciences, medical device company, mostly in the cardiology space. And it was through that experience that I got to see the trials and tribulations of being a clinician and how burdensome it is and how much administration paperwork and just how little tooling there was to help them. And so that's where I really became obsessed with that problem space. And I guess I'm still here. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, especially important to see that workflow first and really understand the clinician experience rather than just throw tech at a problem. Yeah. I'm curious though, like how did Augmetic start? What was the origin story there? I've heard in other interviews, you had the, your co-founder drop out of med school to start this company with you. So I'm really curious, how did that all happen? Yeah, you know, so, some people found sp uh, startups sort of by, by way of spreadsheets and need finding and numbers. I would say Augmetics was founded out of a hilarious series of Silicon Valley cliche moments, which I love. I, I met my co-founder at Stanford. He was there at the med school. I was there at the business school. You know, against all odds, we crossed the street, as they say, and, and, and became friends. And we knew we wanted to do something big and bold in the world of digital health, just didn't know what, didn't know when, endeavored to keep in touch. The ultimate spark around Augmetics actually came while hanging out in Dolores Park here in San Francisco, one sunny summer day in 2012, I was hanging out among Googlers, friends. Many of those Googlers worked at Google X. And one of those Googlers backpack, they had with them a illegal prototype device they called Google Glass at a time when the world had never heard of glass. I had never seen it or heard of it. And so one of the Googlers said, hey, try this thing on. Let me know what you think. Don't take a picture. I'll get fired if you take a picture. So I put on this device in the middle of the park. I looked around and I said, have you thought about doctors? Here's what you could do. And I just started rampaging about like intelligence you could provide them, how you could deburden them of documentation. And immediately the, this group of Googlers just kind of laughed me out of town. That is not what we're thinking for this device. We're thinking about dads in the park and all these con consumer application, take a picture, you know, play Pandora. 
that kind of stuff. And I was like, that's cool. We'll get there. But how about enterprise? How about industry? How about doctors? So we just we agreed to disagree. We had this debate. I became obsessed. Couldn't stop thinking about it. Couldn't sleep. Ultimately got around to calling up my friend Pelu and said, you got to sit down with me. I just experienced this thing in the park. Technology's coming. Internet of things, wearables coming. How do we get into the point of care? How do we start offering these tools? And that's how we both decided to drop everything we were doing and found Augmetics. And yes, he did end up dropping out of med school as a fourth year with just merely a few months to go before graduating to join me in this crazy endeavor from the two of us then to thousands of people, public company. It's been an amazing journey. But as Jeff Bezos likes to say, it's day one. All of that. I, can I ask you, so, you know, back then, like the inspiration came from, you know, glass as a, a form factor for this, for interaction with patients better as clinicians. Obviously that's changed over the years. And now we're seeing that audio and conversation is probably the more common form factor now. I'm curious, I know it's a long story, but maybe how would you distill it to like how it started, I guess, more on, on glass and how that's maybe changed over the years to, to more audio or, or however you describe it today? Yeah, for the first five years of Augmetics' history, we were up and running with entirely clinicians wearing Google Glass all day, every day. It was very exciting, and that was the vision. And it's really less about glass itself, even though it's so visible. You see a doctor wearing glass, it's kind of striking. But it's more about how do you bring ambient intelligence, ambient listening technology with you in a form factor that works. And really the magic is more what happens the processing side versus what you see on or with the provider, even though people love to talk about that. About four years ago or so, it became clear that it just that form factor wasn't getting the enterprise-grade love and support to kind of stay up, and smartphones just kept advancing. Battery life, far-field listening just kept getting better and better with smartphones. So we made a strategic decision to hard pivot and really get our providers to stop wearing Google Glass and instead use bring with them phones. Phones they've will set down on a surface or a stand in the middle of their exams. It still listens into provider-patient conversation and does the work that is Augmetics, but instead of from a phone. Some of our providers, in fact, keep their phone in their pocket, and we place listening um, devices on their lapel, replicating a little bit of that hands-free, glass-like capabilities that providers really seem to like, especially in the acute care environment. But TLDR... It's really more about the ambient intelligence, the processing, and NLP, and, and Gen AI than it is about what hardware is being used on the front end. A lot of our, our listeners are from the digital health space. A lot of them are like CMIOs and CIOs and tech savvy clinicians. But just for some of the folks who may not be as technologically inclined or may not be as well versed in ambient, do you mind just maybe if you could break it down for us? What exactly is ambient intelligence and, and, and what does Augmentix exactly do? Yeah, I guess I kind of kind of peeked into that without actually explaining that just now. What Augmetics did 10 years ago is what we do now. We place technology at the point of care that listens into natural clinician-patient interactions, chaotic nonlinear conversations like we're having right here and now, and we turn those conversations into beautiful structured notes. Right in your ethic, your Athena, your Cerner, your Meditech, right where things belong on behalf of the clinician, so the clinician doesn't have to spend hours a day typing, clicking, laboring on the computer, but can rather focus on what matters most, the patient right in front of them and, and, and patient care. So more specifically, we place technology that streams those visits, those conversations to our platform. We run those conversations through a series of technology steps 
ASR, multi-party medical speech recognition, our proprietary NLP engine we call Google's generative AI. And we ultimately produce an AI draft medical note in, in our backend. And depending upon the level of service you may choose from Augmetics, we may or may not have a human in the loop that reviews and performs last mile QA and structuring before that note arrives in a clinician's EHR. Or now, more recently, with Augmetics Go, we have offerings where um, there is no Augmetics provisioned human in the loop. The clinicians are able to see a purely model or AI-generated note pop in in real time. In essence, we save providers hours a day, produce documentation that's better and faster, and we take a big sledgehammer to the problem of clinician burnout, all using ambient technology. Oh, that's awesome. So it sounds like with all this processing power and then adding in a human into the loop, there is a, a difference between real-time note generative capability versus an async note. As I'm curious, the breakdown there between async and real-time, I know that's a, a hot topic in the ambient voice space. Yeah, we, we're wise enough to know through years of experiences and battle scars that contrary to what people and investors may want and desire, there's very rarely a one-size-fits-all for a large health system with thousands of clinicians. Because of that, we now offer a portfolio of different ambient listening products that meet different criteria around cost, scalability, turnaround time, note composition. And that's actually one of the key differentiators of us versus others, the fact that we just offer so many permutations and fungibility across our products versus a one-size-fits-all. So I'll tick through our product portfolio and describe the differences of these capabilities. So our historical product is a product we call Augmetics Live. This is our most premium product. If someone were paying for my Augmetics and I was a clinician, I would want Augmetics Live. With Augmetics Live, you turn on our technology and you are live streaming synchronously to a human in the loop who's basically your assisted co-pilot throughout the day. They're still augmented by all the technology that I just previously mentioned, but you still have that synchronous connection. And because of that connection, your human, we call them a medical documentation specialist, you can interact with them, you can seek clarification, you can charter your MDS to do a bevy of referrals and nudges and certain types of orders and tasks all made possible by that sort of interactive connection that we facilitate. And with Augmetics Live, your notes are effectively done in real time. Typically between five and 30 minutes, your notes are then in there. So if you're rampaging along, you don't have time for this and that. You get everything with Augmetics Live. And there's a huge amount of ROI with Augmetics Live. The next level of service we offer is more automated. It is asynchronous, unlike the previous service, which is synchronous. We call it Augmetics Notes. With Augmetics Notes, we allow our technology to do much of the heavy lifting of note creation, but we still allow a human to come in at the end for last mile QA and structuring. So each visit is effectively stored recorded, shipped to our platform, it is processed. Within a four-hour SLA, we will have a human review and we will place the note right where things belong at a very high quality in your EHR for sign-off. So there are trade-offs here versus Augmetics Live. One of the trade-offs is you have that up to four-hour SLA and you don't quite have all those interactive capabilities, but there's also huge benefits. Main benefit is pricing. It is priced at less than half the cost of Augmetics Live because we're really able to crank down those human ratios and crank up our automation because of, of its asynchronous nature and it's just much more enterprise scalable, this model. And then our third product 
tier just takes it one step further. We just remove the human and loop altogether. We call it automatic scout. Now, I should be careful. I should not say we, we, we remove the human in the loop. I should more specifically say the clinician themselves serves as the human in the well, loop. So we have launched Augmentics Go. It's in what we call private preview in primary care and the ED. And um, next year, we're going to be launching it in a variety of other specialties. The beauty of Augmentics Go is it's back to real time again, like Augmentics Live. And it's radically affordable. It's actually even less than half the cost of Augmentics Live. It's so low cost that it's almost in the order of like a dictation service, like Dragon, but of course, far more performant than a Dragon in that it actually t- captures an ambient conversation, not just like a single party summary. That's it's first of all, congrats on, on that the launch of Augmentics Go. Super, super exciting. I just want to double click on the, I don't call it the middle tier, but the one with the, the, the medical assistant in the loop. Mm-hmm. In terms of like what they're sort of like checking or queuing before it goes back to the clinician, what would they be doing? Is it that they've learned that clinician specific preferences and that's what they're adding on top as needed or what, what are they doing exactly? There are a lot of tasks that they do. It depends on the specialty. It is going back in time and seeing past visit and past notes and past history and making sure that the note creation at hand aligns with obvious facts from previous visits that may or may not have been uttered in the visit. The ambient listening technology can only deal with what's said. (laughs) And uh, the human can provide that context. It's especially important for like oncology visits where there's just a variety of recharting and pre-lookup past visit information that would inform the note at hand. Obviously, even beyond that, there are hallucinations and omissions where our Gen AI, as good as it is with MedPalm 2 and our NLP, it, it has significant misses. And some providers are intolerant of managing through that, through those misses. And for those that are intolerant, they need a solution with a human in the loop. That, that's just a fact of it. And then another task that the humans in the loop do is um, last mile upload into the EHRs. With some of our EHRs, we have really good deep integration so that when the note is complete, all of the appropriate discrete fields from our system land to their respective sec- sections in Ethic and Athena. Um, but we also work with um, some boutique EHRs that don't yet have that capability, or they're highly customized by instance or made complex by custom templates. Um, and until we have enough scale to warrant building out those deep integrations, we maintain like a human upload pool capability that still lands that field-to-field content so that when the provider is done with their visit and they glance the EMR, everything is in draft status, waiting for, for them to sign off. And so they, these humans in the loop, these MBSs, perform all of these functions. And the nice thing about Augmentics Go is if we can identify that we've collected the standards and preferences and templates, we have stood up the deep integration, they have a relatively um, streamlined workflow, we can actually eliminate the human in the loop altogether. Amazing. And it's part of your vision for the future that as like your generative AI capabilities advance, as the the model becomes even more accurate, in fact, like maybe a lot of those activities by the human in the loop will eventually transition to the automation on Minix Go. Oh yeah. I, of our existing installed base of uh, nearly 2,000 daily active users of Augmetics, Augmetics Go is not just going to be net incremental ad as we're seeing, but it's also going to cannibalize some yeah. of that too. And I think that's a, that's a really a good thing. Okay. Wow. That's amazing. I did want to double click on something you mentioned about how like, you know, right now, because let's be honest, like 
any um, solution right now may have risk of hallucinations or errors in, in, in Node if it's, if it's automated with AI. Um, I've spoken to some clinical informatics leaders who bring up the idea of automation complacency, um, the idea that some physicians will implicitly trust AI more and more to the point where maybe some of them won't even read the notes generated by AI just sign off on them, which they probably shouldn't do that. But we all know some physicians just will, and that could lead to issues down the road for patients. I'm kind of curious, like you've been doing this for over 10 years now, what have you observed in terms of actual note review by physicians? And then what do you foresee health systems doing maybe to tackle this concern going forward? I have really strong and spiky feelings on this topic, and I, I, I want to share them with you. <clears throat> in my humble opinion, at least in this narrow domain of ambient documentation, we've studied and solved this question. Because even without generative AI or purely automated note production, for quite literally decades, clinicians and doctors have been deploying in-person on-site scribes, literally a second person sitting right next to them that effectively does the same thing. They're listening to the conversation. They're producing a draft note in the EMR. Legally, it's required for the physician to still sign off. And so there's a question, do they read the notes and what are the notes like? And the jury's in. There's actually little to talk about here. There have been numerous studies showing that net, 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 the notes are higher quality, they're concluded faster, and they have fewer errors, which actually kind of makes sense intuitively if you think about it, because you have two sets of eyes, two moments of review versus just one. And the way the EHRs are set up, you, the physician, the clinician still has to perform the review. And what the data is showing is that by and large, more often than not, they do with more robustness, not less. And I can just tell you from looking at our user base, that rings extremely true. I'm no doctor myself, but I've seen many pre-post-augmetics notes. And unfortunate as it is to say, most of the pre-notes are pretty scary. Clinicians just up in the middle of the night, barely scraping by trying to get things done. And then in the post, I mean, they just look like beautiful, robust notes that you would want to see that you would even feel comfortable being on an open notes basis, which previously you probably wouldn't be comfortable with. And we see that ringing true with both full service, partially automated and fully automated paradigm. I don't really think whether or not it's a human that's doing it or AI or some hybrid that's doing it. I don't really understand why that would change the, under, the fundamental logic here. Now, it's just going to get better. We occasionally do put in checks to just ensure that physicians are actually reviewing the notes. If we see that no edits are ever made, that actually raises flags that we need to review what that clinician is doing. So actually technology has the ability to ensure a review, whereas previously that may not be the case. And unlike say a human scribe where a clinician may become complacent in, in reviewing, which again, I, I'm not seeing in the data, Future versions of our automated notes are going to go to one step further. We're enabling this capability now. We're in the note review UI UX. We're going to show confidence areas of the note so that you're guiding the, the clinician who's reviewing the model generated note to really pay extra attention. Here, this was ambiguous. The speech rec didn't quite pick this up, like highlighted in red and feel more confident in this big section here where the speech rec was quite clear. So if anything, I believe with human scribing being a baseline, with this sort of confidence scoring in place, 
we should be instigating more safety and more review on a comparative basis. You know, Ian, to your point, it's funny because like when I think back to some of the notes I've seen from my own physician, I, I had a physician where I actually saw, and this was back in the paper days, I saw my paper chart and I had visits where he literally wrote like three words in there, right? <laughs> so I don't think that's going to happen nowadays, especially with solutions like Logmedics. To your point, the other thing people kind of forget is even humans don't have a 0% error rate. So even humans who are doing their own pure documentation have an error rate. And as long as what, what you can offer is going to be lower than that, it may not be perfect, but if it's better than a human, that's still a big leap forward. The other thing I think people forget is like AI has been around in different ways in healthcare for years. This is not really a new concept in terms of just AI. So like ECGs, for example, for like, I think three decades now, there's been AI involved in, in ECG recordings where actually it spits out a diagnosis of what the heart rhythm is. And it's up to the cardiologist or physician to decide like how much they want to believe that, but that's not a new concept. So I think people sometimes, for me as a, as a consumer, you would probably wouldn't know that, but it's been around in different ways. This is not, you know, principally new. And so I, I think what you say resonates um, really, really well. Awesome. So Ian, over the last year, especially two years, three years, clinician burnout has really come into light. And you combine that with the explosion of generative AI in the past 12 months, ambient voice tech. What's the reception been like pre-2020 versus today when it comes to ambient voice tech? What are you seeing in the industry? Yeah, something happened. There was like a crack in the matrix or something around 2020 when this space just kind of exploded. And if I think about it, there's a few factors. Pre-2020, Automedics was like cool. It was considered the future. Some of them were pioneering or needy health systems. We're demanding, we're buying. Post-2020, it's, it's, I think every single health system in America is being, every CIO and CMIO is being asked, what's your ambient play? <laughs> and if I were to think about why, I think like, there's always been value propositions associated with Automedics and our competitors, time savings, potential throughput, better documentation, financial ramifications of that better documentation. And then I would always keep presenting and talking. The last thing I would always say is physician satisfaction and retention. And that's when the CFO will check out and get on their phone and like stop <laughs> me when I started talking about that third ROI prop around clinician sat. And I think around 2020, the CFO's head stays up when right. I start talking about that third value prop area. It's just so painful now for the C-suite and the CFO to attract maintain even prevent partial quitting of their clinicians that they now ascribe not just like a soft green dollar but like a hard green dollar to solutions that take a sledgehammer to the problem of burnout so i think that's the main thing i also think that there's been a rapid embrace of all things remote all things cloud-based and willingness to kind of pursue innovative solutions in that regard and and that's just created a combination where and I would, I would like to think also just our success and, and, and kind of doing well with certain health systems have, has caught fire. And now every health system wants Augmatics for a solution like Augmatics. And I personally think five years from now, ambient documentation, ambient intelligence will be like the veritable stethoscope. It will be like the thing you turn on in the morning, like right after you put on your white lab coat. And if for some reason that thing is not working, like you're going to call in sick. Like that is the worst day of your life. Where is my Augmatics? Where is my ambient intelligence. And I think we're well on our way to that. Amazing. I think there's a good chance you're right. So the good news about that explosion of ambient now is that everyone's really interested. 
The challenging thing is that's also true for a lot of new entrants, new startups in this space, even just pre-2020. I don't know how many companies there were, but probably I'm going to guess single digits in this space. Now, like I've seen market maps with 30 plus companies have entered the space. And so you're one of the pioneers. You're one of the leaders today. What's the path forward to staying a leader in an ambient? You, you speak the truth. In the first few years of our existence, we had quite literally no competitors. It's kind of strange. And I know when entrepreneurs go to pitch a VC and say you're first and there are no competitors, they're usually crazy. But we actually were. I guess we were crazy enough. But in the last few years, there's been a sort of Cambrian explosion of quite literally dozens of competitors coming in big and small, gunning right for us. I'll take that as a badge of honor to see all these fast followers coming in and doing different things. At the end of the day, we can't have them all and healthcare is huge and there's so many nooks and crannies. People need to find different solutions for them. How are we going to thrive and succeed amongst the noise? Well, a few things, a few approaches we have, and we, we say this with humility. First, we think in healthcare, it's all about people, culture, partnerships, saying what you're going to do, doing those things, doing so repeatedly with high quality. And so just before people jump into lowest price, lowest word error rate, this feature, that feature, we kind of like to put a blanket on that and be like, we have 25 enterprise health systems, four of America's 10 biggest health systems use us in half a years. Look at our track record of successful implementations where they're still up today. And by the way, most implementations are not successful. So on that sort of soft and squishy level of partnership, resourcing, high touch implementation, knowing how things work on the ground, we think we're highly dif differentiated and we'll continue to be that, be differentiated. Going forward in terms of strategy of differentiation, I previously stated we have this portfolio of products. No one has that. No yeah. one has Augmentics Live, something like that, Notes, something like that, and Go and something like that. And, and quite honestly, we win more often than not versus some of the behemoths out there because a Sutter or a Common Spirit needs a little live over here, a little Notes over there. And if you go with someone else, they just have like one solution and that's not what you need. That's, that's not going to work for you. And it goes further than just product spectrum offering. We all also just simply operate in more care settings than other folks. So we, for example, operate in the ED acute space, which is quite honestly the hardest space. And I don't think any of our competitors operate there. We operate in behavioral health. And one thing that I've learned is like, when we first started meeting with Common Spirit and Sutter, we would go in there and we would be like, hey, we, we want to focus on orthopedics. Can, can we do that? And, and Sutter would say, you can just walk yourself right out of here because we're here to buy enterprise-wide solutions. And when you can figure out how to be multi-specialty and meet and mix and match the needs that we have as a system, then now we're talking. So we're committed and we currently have the largest spectrum of care settings that we cover today. There's some other key differentiators. We have this your data is your data white box approach. So HCA is a great example. They love this. With HCA, we not only produce notes for them in Meditech, but we also have stood up with our partners at Google, a GCP environment and data lake where we will also give them DID transcripts for high fidelity, analytics and insights that are upstream to our process and other structured data so that they can do incredible analytics and insights work on the conversation and to answer and go after deep, dark questions and at the point of care that 
or otherwise unanswerable by just looking at the unstructured notes inside of what we would land in, in your EHR. And we see that our competitors have a more monolithic approach or are less willing to open up the lattices of their process, send you your transcripts, send you your data. And that's that's a huge differentiator for us and for Google. Us and Google, Google together have this sort of your data is your data philosophy. And I guess I mentioned Google, we have a partnership approach. One of our key competitors is Nuance, owned by Microsoft, but we have our own technology big brother and partner that would be Google. And that's a huge differentiator. We also have other partnerships that we, we, we set up. And so our sort of open ecosystem approach, I think is, is going to be a key reason people will choose us again and again. I want to get to the partnership strategy in, in a second. I just want to quickly comment on something that you said, Ian. So at the very beginning of you laying out your differentiators and while you're going to continue leading, you mentioned how Augmentics really values the people, the process, the culture, and, and that and bring that to your partnerships with health systems. What's funny to me is that we have a very similar approach here at SeamlessMD because we believe in that too. And sometimes when we start in a process with an organization, let's say the sales process, there's some folks who really focus on, I don't know, like features and the tech and all that. And, and, and sometimes, you know, when they're looking at other products, they'll say, oh, but it has this really cool feature or this cool thing. And, and we may or may not have that. But then after we work with the health system, if we, when we go back and we ask them, hey, like, what's the best part about Seamless MD? It's never, oh, I was so glad that you had that specific feature or that specific thing in your product. It is almost always, we love the people. We love the values, right? You delivered on outcomes the way you said you would. And like most vendors don't do stuff like that. And it's crazy to me how like they all realize that like after they've had success, but during the sales process, it's so often about like anything else. And I think it's really hard as a company to be like, no, no, no people process and culture matters. But then, and everyone, I think everyone knows that in healthcare, but when they're in the heat of trying to compare vendors, like they throw that out the window or they don't know how to evaluate that. So what you said just really spoke to me because it's so true, right? It's a, I'm passionate about this topic. Like every now and then we'll get like an inbound sales inquiry and it feels like almost like an RFP filling out a box. And I feel like we're being asked to kind of like comment on the minutia of like word error rate and turnaround time of, you know, 50 minutes versus 60 minutes or something. And, and it's a kind of very masked and blinded process versus like someone that calls up HCA and said, what went wrong and how do they fix it? You know, and what are the, what kind of resources? And so what, you know, call that scenario B and then the sort of mass process scenario A. When I see scenario A unfolding, it's honestly just a waste of our time. Yeah. Let someone else have that business. We don't want those kind of health system partners that are just kind of sleepwalking through a process and going for sort of a plug and play commodity that probably won't be a successful implementation. I know that sounds a little bit harsh, um, but we really don't even call our customers. We consider them partners. I love that. I think it's one of those things to your point where an organization who's had to do effective change management with the clinical workflow and implement a successful, you know, digital solution, I think fully appreciates everything you've just said. So I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, Alan, I did want to dig into partnerships. So you've had some, a lot as of late. So the Sullivan Group, Mindship, Ellipsis, Google and HCA you mentioned. How do you think about your partnership strategy? Why have you chosen the ones that you've done so far? I'd love to, to dig into that. Yeah, well, I mean, at a very, you know, high soaring philosophical level, a lot of people think of Augmentics as that, hey, we're that company that does the notes ambiently, but they don't fully appreciate 
our presence at the point of care. We've literally built this pipe to the lives of clinicians in like almost every specialty at scale and every EHR ecosystem. And so if you had a bi-directional pipe following around clinicians throughout their day, listening into that conversation is where really healthcare takes place up here, speaking level, not get what gets typed into the computer. You could do so much more than just a clinician's notes. And by the way, I don't mean to demean doing a clinician's notes. That's probably a $10 billion market opportunity, but there's still so much more you could do with that point of care, that pipe and that data. And more importantly, Archimedics is not going to build all of these things, but we want others to selfishly and for the betterment of, of American healthcare. So our strategy is very googly in that regard. We want to partner with others to extend and help us do more for clinicians than what we could do alone. So a good chunk of our tech stack, not all of it. We partner with Google. So we use their Palm series of LLMs and very excited about where that's going. We, we're betting hard on that. And I think it's poised to dramatically exceed the LLM stack from other companies, starting with a letter O, if my forecasts and bets are, are correct. And we partner with them on SpeechRec, but then we have our own proprietary elements of it too. And we know what we can do and what they can do. And we are at peace with that. Similarly, as you mentioned, like we've partnered with MindShift on prior authorization. We do the note, but once you take rid of, get rid of one administrative burden for a clinician and their team, it's like a whack-a-mole. There are other burdens like prior off and orders and this and that. So we want to partner with other companies that can just with us integrate on one ambient platform and address the whole string and spectrum of, of, um, of administrative burdens, one and the next, because so we're not going to do it. You mentioned Ellipsis. That's another partner we re recently announced. Really cool. They have the ability to tap into the, our presence at the point of care in the conversation and do mental health, anxiety, depression, screening, and scoring from those conversations, guiding clinicians upon note review to have incredible insights as to those biomarkers for their patients with backed up evidence. And that's going to be a game changer and just the tip of the iceberg of what you can do with the data. And then the Sullivan Group's another one, just like labor at the point with our recent partnerships. They're collaborating with us to perform what we like to think of as ambient nudges. So um, ambient documentation is just, isn't just a one-way street, like conversation happens, ends up in the note. This like turning it in the other direction. Um, what if you as a clinician are forgetting to say things that really ought to have been said? There's a talk track and we're talking about a pain score, but we really didn't mention it. And it's important that we do capture there are a variety of content and logic that we want to be listening into, listening to the conversation, ensuring that the provider does cover. And as we're wrapping up, as we're wrapping up, do we hear it yet? Do we hear it yet? We want to nudge the provider to actually do yep. bring up these critical care gaps. And the Sullivan Group is helping to co-create these ambient reminders. So I'm really excited about partnerships and hopefully we'll be adding more. I would invite other innovators that want to tap into the point of care conversation to reach out to us and inquire about working with our data set. Yeah, absolutely. So Ian, actually, I had a question that came up. Back when your friends at Google X first showed you the Google Glass, they were thinking consumer side and you were thinking healthcare. You disagreed there. It seems like consumer side hasn't really worked for Google Glass yet, but I'm really curious in terms of the split today, are physicians still using Google Glass with Augmetics or is that pretty much done with or up until a year ago, 
we offered it as an option, though it was more rare that a clinician would choose Google Glass. But Google Glass formally, just a year ago, stopped producing and supporting. So there, there is no more. And that, that means we also stopped offering. Funny enough, though, still something like on the order of 1% of our users are on a legacy provisioned hardware of glass out there. And I assume that will dwindle down. Those will not be replaced, but that is the state of state of play to today. We are, by the way, really hardware agnostic and to kind of foreshadow some innovation for us in the future, you're going to start to see us tricking out fixed ambient smart room equipment with Augmatics capabilities in in the near quarters. You're going to start to see, uh, Augmatics on this guy. Uh, I'm, I'm holding up uh, my watch for those of you that are listening. And, and so we want Augmetics sort of ubiquitously everywhere, and we're working to make that happen. Cool. I will say, though, you know, Glass may come back with a vengeance with Meta. You know, maybe in the future, like you got your Meta glasses on with Augmetics on it, and you're examining a strange rash on a patient, and like you're able to use Augmetics to, again, I, I'm not taking you in a completely different direction. Diagnosing skin rashes. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just being funny, but maybe class is not totally oriented. Yeah. I, I mean, you can tell that I've come to peace with it, <laughs> but I, I'm the original glass hole, and there are many. Those one percent of users are die hard, but, and there are many that wish they were still using glass and wanted to be back. And I'll make a bet that in five or ten years from now, that one percent is going to go back up into a higher number and I don't know what form factor it's going to be. It's an educated opinion because as we get deeper and deeper into the acute ED space where you're just literally running around, that visual point of view is rather important and there's just a maniacal need to be hands-free. Whereas when the clinic or the ambulance are, you can get a phone down, you can click a phone, whatever, you can do that. Um, But in in these more acute settings, I'm seeing a resumption of demand for something like that. And I'll just, I'll leave you some preview breadcrumbs there. Something's going to happen there. I love that. Awesome. I did want to also ask you about how you were CEO of Augmetics for six years. And then in 2018, you passed the torch to a new CEO. And now you're um, focused as chief strategy officer. We have quite a few folks who listen who are either founders themselves or even just like clinicians are really into the whole like startup experience. Maybe are going through something similar or thinking about it. What was your thought process in terms of coming to this decision? How has your role changed? Best part, worst part of I'm no longer being CEO. I'd love to get your take on all that. Yeah. Well, the way we think about it and I think about it is you really need to tag in and out different people to achieve different sort of sprints in the lifetime of a company on its way to the finish line. And a few years ago, just four or so years ago, five years ago, Product market fit was screaming. Everything was in place. And we were getting to be rather big at the time. And we felt we need to shift the company's focus to be more on scaling unit economics and grooming the company financially and in other ways too for a public market's exit, which as, as you read, did in fact just two years ago. We listed publicly on the NASDAQ as AUGX, and you should check out our stock prices. They're doing pretty good right now. So we made a decision to kind of bifurcate the role and allow me to tap out and do some different things, which is really like the magical strategy and partnership and biz dev and corp dev work. 
So in the last few years, what I've been doing is basically forming our Google partnership and grooming it to the next level, forming our transformative partnership with HCA, with EHR companies, some of these e integration partners. These are just like the sledgehammer, big buttons that kind of take us into the future. And quite honestly, it's the fun stuff. And I really enjoy being super external and super strategic and splitting the role for much of sort of the operational CEO items to be done by someone else. And it's nice. It's nice to tap in and out. And I think in my life, I want uh, there's parts in, in my long life that I want to be in the operational hot seat. And there's parts where I like being external and more strategic. And now I'm in that part. And who knows, maybe in the future, I'll take more operational roles and undulate back and forth. I think that's like a sustainable and fun rhythm for me to consider. Yeah, it's been cool, and I'm still as excited about Automatics as ever while I get to do all the fun stuff. Awesome. You're really good at it, too, so I think that, that makes... <laughs> totally. All right, well, Ian, just being mindful of your time, let's flip over to the Fast Five lightning round, five rapid-fire questions to get to know you better. The first question we have is a little different this time. What was your first job ever, and if what did we... you learn in that job? My first job ever is I dressed up as a giant lotto ball on a busy intersection in Florida as like a 15 year old pointing with a big flag, a sign to tell people that they can buy a lot of tickets from this tape recording store. And my second job was I worked at Whole Foods Market as a, a bagger. Okay. And I guess in both of those jobs, I just learned to like get up, rain or shine, stand and deliver, talk to one person in the next, in the next, in the next with a smile. And there's no sick day in that regard. And you just go and I just, learn some sort of gumption and work ethic through, through carrying a shovel, I guess. That's stuff's underrated, it. by the way, right? Totally. Yeah, I know all days don't do that, but, but maybe they should. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Question two, who is a person either dead or alive you'd love to meet? I think I, w I would want to meet like Ben Franklin. I, I kind of like thinking about these like crazy visionary ph philosopher thinker types and inventor types. And I geek out about bringing them into the future and then showing them like, hey, Google Glass or play with this LLM and like watching their brain explode and then <laughs> having them reimagine with me about what they would do next. I just think that would be a very fun conversation. Totally. Question three, would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? Definitely the mind one. <laughs> As a kid, whenever I would watch a superhero one, I always thought less of the superpowers that were more about like jumping high or like strength and thought the ones that were more kind of cerebral were ultimate, ultimately more diabolical and effective. So I prefer those. Nice. Yeah. Follow up to that. What if you couldn't turn that power off? So everywhere you're going, you're just reading people's thoughts. You know, I still think I'd take it. I, I think I would. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I've always said I, I want the truth, even if it hurts, and I think it applies here too. I like that. Yeah. Question four: What is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? You know what? I'll go back to what we said previously. Somewhere in the next five or ten years, your primary care doctor will be wearing smart glass, Google Glass, or something like that. Yeah, I could totally see it. Last question that we have for you, Ian, if you could travel back in time to any event or moment, what would it be and why? I think I'd want to do something really bombastic and that would change the world, like when I went there and reported back. So I think what I'd want to do is go to some like 
highly contested biblical event like the moment of Adam and Eve or the theoretical resurrection of Jesus Christ and just be sure to bring my iPhone and just like completely document what happened, what was said, and then report back. And no matter which scenario that I report (laughs) back, I think I'd it would be very fun and controversial and would change the world. So I would do something like that. (laughs) That would totally change the world. You never know. It could just be the smallest thing that you do. Like you're you're recording with the iPhone, but then you like snap a twig or a, a branch and that ripples. Like so oh, that's awesome. Well, amazing. Thank you, Ian. You can find Ian on Twitter, everyone. It's uh, at Ian Shaquille, S-H-A-K-I-L. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Digital Patient, hosted by Seamless MD. You can follow us on Twitter at SeamlessMD. And if you like the podcast and you want to learn more visit www.seamless.md. Ian, again, honestly, thanks so much for spending your time with us, sharing some of your wisdom, and we can't wait to see what happens next with Augmentics over the next five, 10 years, like you've alluded to. Thank you. This has been so much fun.